So hello there my beautiful bisexuals and people of other orientations and welcome to the first episode of The Bee Agenda, a podcast about bisexuals, by bisexuals, for bisexuals, where every episode I'm joined by a different bisexual friend to chat about a different topic beginning with the word B because alliteration is cool. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Morak and I'm a bisexual blogger based in Scotland. We're going to kick things off by discussing the very niche topic that is the intersection of pop-punk music and bisexuality. For this, I'm joined by my good friend Lauren, aka The Devil Wears Tartan, yeah. yes, on Twitter, who, like me, is a massive Blink-182 fan. I thought you were going to say my massive bisexual. <laughs> you are also <laughs> You are also that. <laughs> Specifically... <laughs> We originally met online and our first in real life meeting was at the Cat House Rock Club in Glasgow where we did dance to Blink-182 and lots of other pop punk. So it was very fitting that I asked her to join me for the first episode um, but Lauren's a much bigger fan than me because she actually has a Blink-182 tattoo, don't you Lauren? I do. It was my first tattoo I got when I was 18 but I got it somewhere hidden because I, I thought possibly I might change my mind in the future and sometimes I do think... Have I outgrown this? You're 31 years old and then I go and see Blink Live again and I go, oh my god, Mark, I'm a and then I'm, no, I'm really glad I got it. Can you remember when you became a Blink-182 fan? Um, unlike a lot of people, because um, I meet a lot of people who are like, the self-titled album doesn't even count, that's not Blink anymore. The self-titled album was the first album that I ever listened to mm-hmm. and I remember hearing like, I don't know how I got into it, I think um, I had a part-time job and was making my own money and I used to go to FOP, which you still have in Glasgow, and we used to have one in Dundee but there isn't one there anymore it's been gone a long time and so I used to go in with my wages and just come out with like stacks of CDs and so I saw the Blink-22 self-titled album on my way to the till one day and I was like I've heard of them so I got <laughs> that's, that's how I used to like I used to, used to make lists of stuff people bands like I saw mentioned in Kerrang or uh, yeah I saw it on the way to the till and I was like so I got it and then I went home and listened to it and I heard like feeling this um, and it was like recently been the first time like a boy had like touched my boobs at a party <laughs> and so I, so I was like all like emotionally confused like does he like me does he not what does it mean um, and so I would um, <laughs> so I put on like feeling this and be like uh, like emotion um, and <laughs> about someone like touching me for the first time and um, <laughs> and so like that whole album just like totally changed my life so I'm very very defensive of that album so I would have been 15, I think, when the album came Yeah. Out. I remember being familiar with Blink 182 when All the Small Things came yeah, out. All the small yeah, things I like remember, yeah. Around. It was yeah, always yeah. around. And I remember it kind of being played a lot when I was like primary seven, first year of high school. But I didn't really become a fan of them until just my MySpace days. And my favourite song was What's My Age Again? That was the, the mainstream ones. My actual favourite song was Wishing Well. Okay. Yeah. And I remember my Bebo video was what's my age again for ages mm-hmm. that was probably one of the standout bands of my teenage years yeah they were totally were for me i had like lots of other bands i was i was a really big feeder fan as well actually. so was i yeah, i love feeder big, yeah i was a big feeder fan and um, like when i do just totally like consumed my whole life and i went to see them that year and for some reason my mom would let, my mom would let me go for some reason i'd been to like several gigs that year but my mom wouldn't let me go and basically um all my friends were going and I went to school that day and I was like crying because all my friends were going to see Blink and I was like the biggest fan and how dare they go without me and then I got to like my locker and my it was December and my friends had basically phoned my mum and begged her to let me go and they bought me all the ticket and my mum had bought a t-shirt that she'd seen me like in H&M and like put it in my friends had put it in my locker and so I got to go that day and go see Blink and I cried loads and it was just incredible um 
and that was yeah the beginning of my long term oh my god that was so long ago now that's like 16 years ago now how many times have you seen them live um three or four um i think i see i've seen them with tom twice yeah seen the tom twice once without and then i saw them at a uh, acoustic egg that just mark and um map did in london in november i got a tax rebate so that's what i spent on <laughs> good to, choice yes, good decision i'm 31 <laughs> i yeah i am um, i went down to it was like someone like the tickets sold out really, really quickly they were like i think they were like a tenor um for this acoustic gig that they did um in sort of on the outskirts of London in a nightclub it was 2000 capacity and I put a thing up on Twitter the tickets had already sold out and because they didn't even advertise it just the venue advertised it so I put up a thing on Twitter saying if anyone has a ticket to Blink-22 but I was kind of just half joking because I thought there's no way but it turned out an author that we follow each other on Twitter said oh actually I've got a ticket and um so she gave it to me so I went down and saw them I was like in second row this like 2000 capacity nightclub oh with my like God. my real dad Mark Hoppus my real dad, <laughs> my Mark, real dad Mark Hoppus it was really really good it was really nice I've actually only seen them live once and it was the most recent time in Glasgow so massive venue the Hydro okay yeah. and I was really annoyed at myself because I was actually off work on the day they went on sale the ticket sale and I forgot that morning so I wasn't there with my finger in the pulse and I went in about an hour afterwards all standing had gone yep but there was one or two seats left. I did manage to get one of the front seats in the hydro, but if anyone's been in the hydro, you know, that's still a bit shit. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was seated, I've been seated in the hydro for Paul, I went to see Paul, I took my dad to see Paul Simon, and it was Paul Simon and Sting touring together. <laughs> um, and, because Paul Simon's like well into his 70s now, and I thought I'm never going to be able to see him again, so like, you know, get in now. And, mm. but because my mom was a huge Sting fan, she's like the perfect age, but there's like, ended up like being like middle-aged women screaming at me because I wasn't standing up for the, the Sting songs. <laughs> and I was like, I'm actually here for like the short, I'm here for Carrie Fisher's ex-husband, I'm not here for Sting. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I couldn't afford like the floor seats are, like it was all sitting anyway, but the floor yeah. seats were so expensive. So I think I paid about 70 pounds and it's so steep even when you're sitting down yeah but out is. of all the times i've seen like i've only seen them in glasgow once and that was at the secc because they always put an aberdeen gig in their tour always oh, so they do yeah always so i think yeah i think i've seen them four yeah four times now with various lineups because travis yeah. um, can't fly anymore so yes they came over yes for the um for the london gig it was just an acoustic gig with the two of them because yeah travis doesn't do like he has to get the ferry everywhere yeah i've heard it's got massive fear of flying unsurprisingly like, yeah, yeah massive um yeah for, sorry for anyone that doesn't know travis was in a plane crash it was a private plane so it was just a small plane but two people died including his assistant and he had like burns over something like 80 percent of his body and he was actually at the point of being in so much pain that he was actually offering people that he knew like a million pounds to kill him he was like offering people to like he was trying to like get people roped into like helping him die when he was in the hospital and stuff because he was in like so much pain yeah it was horrendous but obviously like he came through the other side but now he um, like not unreasonably has a yeah. huge fear of flying so when they tour in australia they have to get a um, drummer from another band to come in and cover for him oh do they yeah because he because australia's just too far it would take him too long to get there on a boat so he can't go oh wow so since yeah. the crash he hasn't been to australia Okay, so I was doing some Googling to confirm, and no one from Blink-22 has ever come out as bisexual. But there's a religious website that apparently once accused them of being a gay sex triangle. Oh my god, <laughs> um, But actually, while none of them have confirmed they're bisexual, at least to my knowledge, there has been speculation. 
and I was doing some Googling and there's a lot of fan fiction, especially about Tom and Mark and people hooking them up. Um, I personally am not big on fan fiction about real people. Okay. Like fictional characters, fine, but like real people. Imagine like you're a public figure and people were writing smut about you. That's so awkward. <laughs> Have you ever watched like Graham Norton when they do it about um, Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy? And no. They love Graham Norton like goes through some of the like illustrations that people have done with them and I think these people have got to go and work with each other again, <laughs> knowing that there's like images that people have drawn of them shagging. <laughs> But um, I've got a little passage here that I found okay. that was quite not safe for work. Okay, so cool. if you're quite sensitive, close your ears now. <laughs> Tom doesn't catch much of the drive from the venue to their hotel. Mark's hands are everywhere. His kisses are hungry and rambunctious. Like the ones of a hormone-driven teenager. He is driving him crazy. What was it they were fighting about? Nothing can be worse than being apart from each other. Tom gasps for air. You're so damn sexy. <laughs> He says, and claws his fingers into Mark's damp, greying hair. <laughs> I found that on Tumblr, because obviously, obviously. Yeah, it'd be Tumblr. I did actually find some um, 2006 fan fiction on Live Journal. Wow. Live, Live Journal. Have you ever written any fan fiction? No, it's not my bag. <laughs> um, but their own sexuality aside, they are very pro LGBT. They're yes. really good allies. Mark's an excellent ally. He is a really good dad to all of us. He is, he is. I actually kind of fancy Mark, though. I don't see him as a dad. I didn't fancy him. I really fancied Tom when I was younger. And then he betrayed us all by leaving the band. Um, <laughs> That's and, you off the crush list. <laughs> yes, um, and now it's like, I actually got quite emotional the last time I saw Mark at the time before, where I was just properly standing there being like, I'm like so proud. Like, I got quite emotional because I was like, I feel so proud of him that he like kept the band together and everything. I was just like, well done, Mark. Because yeah. after like Tom left the second time, he put up on his Twitter saying like, Blink-182, life for life. Oh. Yeah, I know. He's such a key pie. I know. And it's like, for me, like my crush on Mark, it's not just a physical thing. It's like him as a person. Yes. Like he's very much, like pretty much almost my ideal man. Have you seen him do like cook with Mark? No, I've not seen that. Over Christmas, they went and rented like a chalet somewhere. Um, I'm telling you, Lauren is the bigger fan. <laughs> they went and rented like a chalet. His family rented like a chalet somewhere for Christmas, and he was making like some kind of soup or like stew that he'd seen, and, like, and so he had the recipe book open, and so he did on his Instagram stories like him making. Yes, <laughs> and he's like, "Do you want me to do more of this?" And everyone's best from going, "God, yes!" It was just the most wholesome thing ever. <laughs> I actually found out as well he donated um, one of his bases for the LGBT car- charity, the Trevor Project, last year. Love you, Dad. In response to the straight pride in Boston. He was like, fuck this, I need to do something. He's, he's, he's an excellent man. Yeah, he is, he's the best. Excellent. I think he's like one of those, like, Blink-22, one of those like safe tattoos. I know, Where you're not going to wake know, up one day and be like, fuck. Yeah, because when... <laughs> Everything started to unravel with everyone that we like um, coming out as like sex pests. Um, I was just like, and I, I really like to think that I never have to worry about Mark. I've had like a couple of issues with Travis over the years, but I just feel like I can, I feel like I can trust, please dear God, I feel like I can trust Mark. I hope. I hope, you hope. So as much as I'd love to sit around and discuss Blink-182, there's only so much you can say about a band with no confirmed bisexual members on a bisexual <laughs> podcast. So let's move on to a different band, the pop-punk scene, that does have a very out bisexual member, and that's Green Day, and yes. their frontman, Billy Joe Armstrong. Another big celebrity crush of mine. Long-term really? celebrity crush. Like, from I think the minute I discovered Green Day, I was always like, him. <laughs> <laughs> that one there. Like, my crush on Mark didn't 
come about until I was a bit older. Okay. But Billy was like from the minute I Billy discovered Billy Yeah, Billy Forever, way back in the day. Like when they announced their tour with Fall Out Boy and. Oh, Weezer. Weezer, yeah, that's. I know. Hills. Weezer have released um, like an album of 80s covers that's very fun because I'm not like a huge Weezer fan either mm. but they've done a really fun like it's got like Africa by Toto and like stuff. oh wow and so, yeah they're really really fun yeah. covers so yeah I recommend but even when they announced that tour they did a video and Billy was in it representing Green Day and I was still like I still love you I would still totally marry you even now I've never gotten over that crush it's like again him as a person him physically as well but do you remember when Green Day came onto your radar? Um, I think the American Idiot album was just yes. so huge. It could not be on your yeah, radar. Yeah, you, you couldn't avoid it. I remember I got the album, I think it was 2004 it came out maybe. So I got that from a Christmas that year from my auntie and uncle. Um, but just sort of during my like pop punk phase when I'm trying to be extremely rebellious, I remember like I bought Dookie around that time as well because I think mm. I got American Idiot and... Um, just wanted to like absorb everything so I went and got Dookie and I remember putting it on in the car when I was with my dad and I was like yes rebellion and but my dad my dad and I actually don't have a very big age gap my dad's like I'm sorry I'm adopted before I say what our, before I say what our age gap is my dad is only 14 years older than me just in case like my mum's been up to something she shouldn't um so yeah he's only 14 years older than me so I put it on so my dad was still a teenager in the 90s so when oh, I put yeah. it on, he started like singing along and I was like, no, 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 you're not supposed to know the words to this. You're the parent. This is me rebelling. <laughs> so I, like, I do remember that, but um, ultimately I didn't, I wasn't like the biggest, I think I was just so absorbed by Blink-182. No, I wasn't like the hugest Green Day fan. I would like, I think seeing them live, I yeah. know like, I think like I know all their hits and I would like love to see them live. And I yeah. sort of have recently been going through the American Idiot album again. Mm. And I've got, I downloaded downloaded like Jesus of Suburbia again and I had it stuck in my head for like days and days I kept listening to it so I think the album itself like still holds up it's so good and um yeah Billy's got like short legs like me so you ever seen the American Idiot musical no I have it was not very good no maybe maybe the actual musical's okay and it was just because it was almost like a fringe show where anyone could really do it I wasn't sure I wanted to love it I wanted to go to it and fangirl but I just couldn't and it felt really weird seeing these kind of theatre kids try and do pop punk yeah Yeah, it was rock and roll but they're also like so earnest yeah (laughs) they were too pure they were too pure for it and like at the end they sang um, Good Riddance Time of Your Life in a cheery way as like yes. the closing song but hope we had the time of your life like at the it's show not, it's not, it's not this song's that. not a happy song um, it's a popular funeral song yes. <laughs> please don't play it at the end of your theatre production oh yes um, I, yeah I, I actually struggle with live theatre because I get really so I get so nervous for people on stage that I don't enjoy it how did they shoehorn like the songs what was the storyline but I didn't really understand the storyline someone was pregnant and there was like not a lot of um like actual dialogue, the jump from song it to song, song, time. and like it wasn't even all American songs. There was other songs coming in. And I'm like, what? What is this song? Is this some like weird B sides? Okay. That you know you have to be a super Green Day fan to have heard of. And there was like two girls in it. Where I think one was meant to be extraordinary girl, and the other one was what's her name. And she, the what's her name girl was like really sexy. Okay. And there was like a scene where she was like having sex with one of the other ones, and she was like. They had like a duvet round her, but she was like on top and she was actually bobbing up and down. <laughs> that could have been real. It might not have been real. I don't know, but she was, only, she was in a bra as well. 
not one to go with your parents to. It's not, like, Jesus. so I don't know if I'd recommend going. I might see it again if it's being put on by maybe professionals. Okay. Give it another shot. Yeah, yeah, But I think maybe part of that could just be it was like a £5 fringe show. So, in terms of Billy's sexuality, I've been aware that he's bisexual since about the start. Like, I was always aware. Like, it wasn't like I knew about Green Day for years and then found out. It was always on radar for me. I didn't know. I think I... Because I'm one of these people like you, I fall down, like, rabbit holes when I'm online. Um, and so, when... I, I, like, I don't remember, like, not knowing. Because I assume I'll read it on Wikipedia at some point. <laughs> yeah. Probably, but I don't remember. I wasn't aware of it when I was a teenager. I don't think. Yeah, because I don't remember having a big moment for it. But weirdly, me discovering Green Day would have probably been around about the same time I was making the connection about my own sexuality. Okay. But the two things didn't really collide. It wasn't like I didn't know what the word bisexual was, and then I discovered Billy, and I was like, Oh my god, I'm that too. Yeah. It wasn't like that, but it would have been about the same time period. But he just gave you more awareness. Yeah. That the there awareness were others out there. Yeah, there was others out there. But Billy, um, as it always identifies bisexual, and he's been out since the 90s. Oh, bless him. Bless him. Like, because bisexual men aren't as out sometimes. There's a bit more, yeah. Seriously, yeah. It's it's like in that sex and that, like, famous sex in the city court, which is it's a layover on the way to gay town. Yeah. And it's like, I kind of feel like bisexual women. People talk about them more, but it's all that very fetishized, hot and sexy way. Well, yeah, that's why it's talked about more is because it's the male gaze again. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think, like, people almost think that bisexual men don't really exist. Yes. It's almost like bisexual women are like hot and horny, but really want a guy at the end of the day. Yeah. And then bisexual men are just gay men in denial. Yeah. But Billy has been consistently identifying as bisexual since the 90s. He's been married to a woman for many, many years and still like, this is still my sexuality. I think my. I think my like sort of number one bisexual was probably like Alan Cumming when I was growing up. Mm. I think because I think my mum told me that he was bi and she was very much like he's bi and okay because he was married to a woman and then now he's married to a man. Yeah. Um, so I think Alan Cumming's my earliest bi memory mm. of like a famous person. And I think... also just a huge fan of him generally. Billy might have been the earliest bi I was aware of in the public eye. But I think like when you're bisexual in the public eye, unless you've been with both publicly as like a partnership people probably just forget yes like i can name quite a few bisexual celebrities where other people are like oh like drew barrymore angelina jolie drew barrymore was like my moment where i look back and i'm like oh, oh. like oh like oh, i really admired her in charlie's angels admired quote unquote admired her a lot in charlie's angels thought she was fantastic really good performance there <laughs> but he um, did an interview with The Advocate in about apparently 1995 where he came out as bisexual but I'm going to give a bit of a slap on the wrist because he kind of said um, he believes that everyone is born bisexual like he kind of has this idea that everybody's maybe everyone's a lot everyone's on the spectrum yeah. somewhere yeah, yeah, yeah. some people really are monosexual yes. like some people really are just 100% they know what they're into and then that's it yes. that is it so slap on the wrist Billy if you're listening but another prominent bisexual in pop punk is a band that I'm not a massive fan of and I feel like I've got to give my emo card back. It's Panic at the Disco and Brendan Yuri. But he technically identifies as pansexual. Okay. I I don't know. I always think I'm not... Well, I suppose I, the first album, the first Panic at the Disco album is just fantastic. And then I feel, I feel like they totally fell off my radar. I think because they were just sort of on the cusp of me getting a bit older. 
and this sort of outgrew mm. my sort of emo phase a little bit. Um, so I feel like I listened to the first album and then they, yeah they dropped off my radar a little bit until like the last couple of years. But I know that Brendan went on and did like Kinky Boots and things like that. And I always think I'm not really that much of a Panic at the Disco fan. And then I'm on a night out and then I just hear like the do 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 I was, MSN had a thing called MSN Spaces, so not MySpace. They had this other thing, a mini website you could create. That was like, and I fell down a rabbit hole there. That was my first kind of online profile I had. And one of my friends, you could put like songs on it, and one of my friends put that song on it. And I was like, what is this? And I love the song, but I didn't really get much further okay. than that with them. Yeah, I think, no, like, that whole first album I, like, loved. And every song, like, transitions into the next song as well. And it's just so beautifully done. But I'm really sorry. I don't, like, know enough about but the lineup of Panic! The Disco changed because I'm so, so terrible. I don't know. The, I'm not a big enough fan to, like, even remember the guy's name. But one of the, I think he's maybe the bassist or something. He, like, wrote basically all the songs for the first mm. album. And then he left which is also Panic! The Disco kind of sounded quite different after that, after the first uh, album as well, which is like explains a lot. But I think my, like, I feel like Panic! The Disco were like so big on my, like in my MySpace yeah. days as well. That's like... Oh, they were massive. Everyone's at the disco. The, <laughs> <laughs> the first time I've seen it, I loved yes. it. And then after that, I'm like, okay. It's all like Chloe at the disco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, when I think about Panic! The Disco, I like automatically start thinking of MySpace because I was actually like slightly older when MySpace really became a thing. I was sort of like 17, 18, 19. Okay. Um, and then obviously it just like died a death. Um, so when I think about Panic! The Disco, I think of my MySpace days, but I wasn't like a huge, huge fan of them. But Brendan was like obviously a bit lovely. I hung on to my MySpace for as long as I could. Like people stopped using <laughs> Clinging it. Clinging on with your fingernails. I was. I was I'd even outgrown my emo phase. I was my red hair, my bright red hair was gone and I was still clinging to it. By the end of high school I was still like, I want this to come back. But it didn't. And eventually I deleted it when I was about twenty. There's still emos in Perth. Like when I go home, I'm like, I still still see some of them around. I'm like, good to know that, because I feel like I think they're on Tumblr now. Oh, are they? Well, I feel I feel like where do um, emos go online now? Probably I don't know. Probably Tumblr. We're so old. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but when I'm in Perth, it's just like when I see them around. I'm like, it's good to know they're still there because I feel a little bit like subculture becomes like more and more diluted as we get older. Yeah. It does. Um, partly because of social media so sometimes I see, like I see if I see like any teenager looking like quite extreme no matter what the look is I'm like yes they're still like subculture there. yeah you don't all look like Kylie Jenner and it's not their fault it's just we're in a different world now. yeah post MySpace something about Brendan Urie more modern he has done um duet with Taylor Swift of course Taylor Swift is not pop punk but she was <laughs> my most listened to artist of the decade on Spotify oh my, was she yes. I'm sorry, I'll need to cut a thing. Oh, no, mine was blank, obviously. But um, he did that. And um, there's actually a lot of um, fan theories about Taylor Swift actually being bisexual. Okay. And it's called the Gaylor Theories. <laughs> <laughs> and when she um, um, performed with Brendan, um, there was this big thing like, oh, she's like releasing a song with an out pansexual man. This is like another part of their big theory. And then when they released the video for me... And, like, also the hashtag was me out now. Okay. Like, I think our PR team are going into this. They know it's happening and they're feeding it. It was quite a camp video. Okay. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I haven't seen that. I saw the, I saw the video for You Need to Calm Down. People thought that might be a coming out video as well because there was a lot of LGBT celebrities yeah, yeah, yeah. in it. But Brendan was obviously in that video and it was very camp. And there was bisexual imagery of her sitting on a unicorn, which was picked up on because okay. unicorn imagery yeah, yeah. for bisexuals. <laughs> 
and this whole big thing but Brendan was part of that because we are like oh yeah like look at her having a friend who's openly pansexual okay she's secretly I, I don't know if she is I think she's just I think her PR team have picked up on it in their I know which is quite then annoying then if yeah. you're using it as PR yeah visual. queer queer baiting yes yeah. but at the same time you don't owe anyone you're out no but I'd be surprised yes. if she came out yeah yeah no I would too uh, yeah I'd be surprised but something I want to talk about aside from certain pop punk bands and bisexual celebrities is the overlap of bisexual culture and sort of goth or alternative subcultures. I never thought about it until last year, but I was reading a book called Purple Prose, which is about bisexuality from a UK angle. And a lot of the anecdotes talked about how goth spaces are very bisexual friendly. And I'd never thought about it before, never noticed before, but then when I was like sitting about thinking about it, I was like... Actually, yeah, I know a lot of bisexuals who are former emo kids. Yes, me too. <laughs> Although I like, I suppose there were sort of like two groups of emos when I was at school. I went to school relatively rurally, and there was sort of there was one girl who was out as bisexual when we left school, and she was like, I was not like a cool emo. <laughs> <laughs> Emo still had the high, the social rankings. Yes, like yeah, she was very, like she was very, very pretty, and um, yeah, she was just very obviously cool. I was very not cool Mm. when I was at school. I often say that I was a sitcom teenager because I had my removable, (laughs) and then I had proper braces and huge like Hermione hair, and it it wasn't it wasn't a great time for me, Um, and so I was just such a such a nerd. My friends and I used to watch. Are you familiar with the television show Sharp? I'm familiar with it, but not... Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, really so uh, for, you, for those of you that don't know, this is a 1990s uh, drama that Sean Bean starred in over the Napoleonic <laughs> Wars, and my friends Lizzie and Christy used to record it off the television, and we would swap the tapes at school. So that you was my... so cool. I was really cool at school. That was a... Yeah, it was a good time. Um, and so, I don't know, and I didn't have... Um, I suppose like that kind of relationship. I had some. I had really, really good friends at school. I had a lot of like similar interests, but I didn't have a close relationship with my friends in that we would talk about like our bodies or sex or anything like that mm. at all. It was very, very uptight relationships that I had with my friends and the one like bisexual girl at school. I think that I, I don't like remember like actual things that were said about her, but I remember like boys that were in my friend group at school being very sort of like dismissive of her because she was seen as being like a bit wild and this was like another phase that she was going mm. through but I'm glad that maybe like she found found a home in pop punk or an emo whereas I just it, like it was the sort of one subculture that I sort of bought into for a while but I very much I did sort of I mean we all grow out of that like t- when we're teenagers we are like the most like undiluted version of ourselves mm. so you feel everything at 100 miles an hour but I did sort of grow out of it and didn't think in. And when she was came out as bi, it didn't make me go, oh, me. Because I sort of, <laughs> because I didn't think I was sort of cool enough to be bi. And so I looked at her and I was like, sort of, that's what a bisexual looks like. Yeah. And of course, like, women would be attracted to her because she's very, very cool. And I'm just like an absolute dork. And also, like, no women would ever fancy me. Um, so I didn't even think of it. Um, but when I think back on, you know, like, buying Kerrang! every week, I do remember, like, people's, like, sexualities but just yeah. being mentioned, but just, like, as a fact in passing and nothing else. Yeah. Like, and it did seem like it was more of a way to sort of, like, raise awareness of it or bring attention to it in terms of, like, making it visible. Mm. Um, but never anyone being, like, judged for it or anything. Certainly that's, like, my memory of Kerrang! when I was growing up. Yeah. And so that was really, really healthy. So it doesn't surprise me that people would feel comfortable in that culture. Yeah. Because when I think back on my MySpace days, there were quite a lot of people I spoke to who did have bisexual ticked on their profile. Mm-hmm. 
and for me personally I didn't come out till many years after I was a teenager but on MySpace I did change it by sexual for like a whole minute just to see how it felt to just for a minute of my life be openly bisexual and it was MySpace was the place where I chose to do that and maybe like in hindsight that was the overlap between sort of goth culture and bisexual culture yeah and so MySpace is the first time that we had uh, like our cells split into like our real self and our online self as well yes my MySpace self was a bit different. Yeah. She was emo-fied. Like, she <laughs> so was... So I've got some of my f- profile photos and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, why can't I see your whole face in this? It's so weird. Oh, my profile picture was age- for ages was just part of my head. Yes. Like, from the side, because I had bright red hair for a while. And it was just my hair and that was it. Yeah. It wasn't even the MySpace angle, it was just, like, the side of my head. I'm used to, like, leaning in weird positions. Yes. And, like, there are just pictures of, like, one of my eyes and- <laughs> if you showed like people who grew up with Instagram like what are MySpace photos are back in the day they'd be like what, like what the fuck are you doing I think if you showed like Instagram emos or today, today's emos who are probably a bit more sophisticated I don't no, know absolute losers. <laughs> <laughs> or like in a position where like, I had MySpace like this is like showing how old we are here but when we were teenagers that was when social media became a thing like when I went to high school it didn't exist full stop yet. And then about third year, that, for me, that was when it kind of became a kick, and there's Bebo, and there's MySpace. I suppose, how would you then explain MySpace yeah. to someone who'd never seen MySpace? You had it's a, not even like Facebook, it was like, no, it had a culture about it that Facebook a, doesn't. You had a profile page, and you had your photo, and then you had to pick your like top eight friends. <laughs> and your song, which was usually which directed at your crush. And then there was a song that you would play like automatically when you went onto someone's pages, and you could leave comments on other people's pages. And you could code. Yes. And then there was also like your home page where people would fill in quizzes like, have you ever kissed a blonde boy? <laughs> yes. Um, or people would just leave passive aggressive comments for people that they fancied. Our pages are still on there. You can still go on. Like, I deleted space, mine. Did you? I think mine might still be on there. I might Google it tonight. Oh God. But it's changed. It, it just looks so different. Justin Timberlake bought it or something. Did he not? I'm going to Google this. I'm sure, like, I might be wrong, but I think so, Justin Timberlake. And as well, was it Tom that owned MySpace? Yeah. everyone, Tom was like, an, so Tom was an automatic friend. I suppose it's like if you joined Facebook and Mark, oh God, I was about to call him Mark Wahlberg. No, that's the actor. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's the guy's name? MySpace. The 2011, Facebook Justin Timberlake buys his own social network with MySpace. What? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so Tom was like automatically your friend. Um, yes. On MySpace. For ages I didn't understand who he was. Why yes. I just had this Tom person. His picture was so wholesome. I liked Tom because he wasn't like trying to take over the world that Mark Zuckerberg is. He no, was just he's like Mark Zuckerberg. That's it. It, it yes. was like he was just like he just wanted people to connect with each and other. And he sold it for millions because he kept having people being like, "Oh, where the fuck's MySpace now?" And he's like, "Well, actually, I retired with like <laughs> millions." Dollars, so like, really, who's the loser here? So in June 2011, Specific Media Group and Justin Timberlake jointly purchased the company for approximately $35 million. Jesus Christ, what a waste of money. Tom's probably not saying that. He's probably no, like... No, <laughs> MySpace was already dying and then Bebo came. Bebo. Which was... Everyone was on Bebo though. Which was... Yeah, because Bebo, Bebo was, was the first mainstream social Bebo media. Bebo was MySpace for... I don't like to use the word chavs because it is kind of a... I don't want... Not like a slur, but it's a bit offensive. But yes... I can't think of another way to describe it, but it was like, it, yes. And then it just very suddenly died. And then Facebook came in. 
Yeah, they just both died and then Facebook did the test of time. But everyone's on Facebook, including like my mum. My mum definitely didn't have Bebo or MySpace. No. My dad, my dad doesn't have any social media at all. My mum's got Facebook. But I only, I would get rid of Facebook now, but I need it for work. Mm, oh yeah, me too. Um, but one thing about like kind of bi- like bisexual spaces and goth spaces, emo especially, like the fashions, masculinity and femininity weren't really a thing sometimes of the fashion. It was, mm-hmm. it blurred, that line was blurred. What was like your favourite, like when you look back on some of the outfits that you had, what are the ones that like stand out to you? Um, I really liked stripy tops. Okay. And I was into the pink neon. Alright, I had um, like a mesh, like a drawstring kind of vest. Oh, sexy. (laughs) I wore like over the top of other vests, you know, there was a lot of that. I had a lace glove that I would wear with completely normal outfits and just like have a lace glove on. Um, So as I look back on it, I think the way I dressed was probably more skaterish. Me too. Even though I I wasn't a a skater. I had a lot of tartan shirts, hence why my mum thought I was a lesbian. Lot of tartan shirts. <laughs> I used to customize them and um, put like patches on them and like I used to have yeah. like an, I used to get like an L patch out of like Claire's accessories and like iron it onto my shirts. <laughs> I think probably the most emo thing I did was the red hair. My mum especially kind of re- like wouldn't like buy me emo clothes. Like I think she was like, no, you're not becoming yeah. one of those goth kids. But my bright red hair. It was Christmas Eve, two thousand and five. I think I just did it and turned up at Christmas Day with a family next day with my bright red hair. <laughs> my best friend Lauren had every hair colour under the sun. She's one of the people who she completely wrecked her hair with how much she dyed it. Whereas I didn't know, like, I didn't even know how to dye my hair. It didn't, like, mm. it didn't occur to me to do it. So I yeah. Yeah, didn't dye my hair. I dyed my hair for the first time when I was about 20. And even then I accidentally dyed it black because I thought I bought dark, br- oh, dark brown hair dye. Very adventurous. Um, <laughs> and it was black. So I accidentally dyed my hair black. But um, no, for like in terms of like body modification, I didn't get like any piercings or yeah. I had my Blink-22 tattoo when I was 18, um, but I didn't do like anything else to myself at all. Like, yeah, I wasn't allowed piercings. No, but I had like girls in my class like stretching their ears and that kind of thing. And I was like, oh, like how could you? Um, so I was like terrified of body modification. So I didn't do any of that. All of my stuff was very much like the clothes. Um, I actually have a friend who I didn't know her when we were younger. She grew up in Glasgow and I was growing up in Aberdeen. But she managed to get into some more alternative clubs underage because she was allowed to get body modification. So she was actually quite okay. modified for her oh, age. Okay. So they assumed that she was 18. Yeah. Okay. It was just like, no, she, was just, she wasn't stopped from getting them <laughs> I got my tongue pierced when I was 19 and my mum didn't speak to me for two weeks oh my like I got my tragus and my mum was like you got that pierced you're I like yes I did <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there was a joke sometimes that like sort of like a male female emo couple sometimes looked the same yeah. and sometimes oh, they really yeah, did yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's probably where like bisexual culture was kind of come into that bl- like blurring of gender roles as well like yeah, the men were very I, th- I suppose it was more like the men were very feminine yeah not so much that the, any girl was like tomboyish or butch maybe yeah. to an extent with the, the skinny jeans and the trainers yes that's another thing that i see sometimes is i occasionally will still see a guy with like the full emo fringe and i'm like good for you yeah good for you good for you son i mean in years to come you look back and hate yourself when you see the the pose but like good for you but one thing for me growing up and this is different from a lot of people in Scotland and even the UK I went to non-uniform school did you? yeah I didn't have a uniform so people were free to embrace their emo during the day (laughs) and some people did some people really did they wore their band t-shirts they wore their studded belts Um, but when I was about 20 
and I don't go on the emo phase, but I still dress a bit indie-ish. And I was dating this guy who was also very indie-ish and I was out with him one day and I realised we were dressed very similarly. We're both in skinny jeans, plimsoll kind of trainers and hoodies. Like, we're kind of dressed the same. <laughs> I like I didn't have that with my with Scott, my boyfriend who was for six years. He was very um like into like labels like super dry. So we looked really ridiculous when we were out together because after sort of my emo indie phase I sort of went on to a lot of vintage clothes and things. So mm-hmm. I would be out wearing like a polka dot dress and like a big hat and like ankle socks and like Doc Martens <laughs> and stuff and he would be in like super dry everything has super dry written on it and we'd walk in the street together and we looked really really odd so that's kind of where <laughs> I went after my emo indie phase like I'm sitting here in a pink boiler suit just now um, <laughs> so that was where I went after my emo phase uh, well after my emo phase um I think I just went back to just dressing in like a nice top and jeans yeah. and then I went to uni and that's when I went through a period where I tried to be very girly and I tried to walk in heels, which I couldn't. And it's quite cringy. Like, I think actually my biggest fashion thing over the years has been trying to walk in heels when I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. I couldn't dance in them, couldn't do anything and eventually gave up. Yeah. But that's where I went for a while. Yeah. And before becoming like indie-ish where I've kind of stayed for about a solid five years now. <laughs> yeah, my sister is like hyper, hyper feminine and men always used to make comments about her to me and it was like this huge insecurity that I had that she was really feminine and I wasn't and so now actually when I look back my like emo pop punk phase when I was at school I think it was like the time I was like even though I was a teenager and I like hated my body and all this Mm. stuff it was the time where I was like really comfortable with myself at the same time as well yeah um and I know like partly it's because you sort of had this like prescriptive uniform to wear that I knew what kind of clothes I was after when I went out and feeling like I belonged somewhere um, yeah, that's the thing with subcultures, yeah. it's a belonging thing. Yeah. And one of my friends who is bisexual, and the one that had all the body modifications, yeah. she said, like, well, maybe if you feel kind of outsided by society anyway, like, you feel you're pushed out because of your sexuality, you maybe are just more likely to find people who already are on the outside. That's why bisexuals, like, gravitate towards the goth scene. Yeah, yeah. That's maybe it's like, yeah. Or, like, if you feel like you're being forced out anyway, you might try and make yourself different in other ways as well. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if you're going to make me feel bad about my sexuality, I'm just going to get a big emo fridge. Yeah, Yeah. no, that makes sense. When I thought about everything, like, my favourite genre of music is actually cheesy pop. I love cheesy pop. Yes. I'm such a pop girl. I'm a pop girl at heart. You pop girl at heart. I mean, Taylor Swift is my artist of the decade on Spotify. I'm going to see Taylor Swift in London next this year. That'll be ace. Yes. So she's obviously not very punk at all. But one of the things I've always felt, like even in my MySpace days, is um, I've always felt like I belong in those spaces. Like, I think, as cheesy as it sounds, right, I felt like MySpace was one of the first places where I felt a belonging. Okay. Yeah. I felt something, like, emotional. And, like, I know that sounds, might sound silly to some people, especially maybe people who are straight, who maybe never felt that they had to go somewhere else yes or ever felt they had to hide maybe don't understand like the feeling of yeah the first place I felt I was belong was this now non-existent social media site that had a very specific culture about it yeah well I also associate my space with um so the year that I was leaving I was just about to sort of leave school and my friend Rowan was seeing this girl through in Perth and this is in MSN days, so we were around at a friend's house and he was speaking to her in MSN and I sort of kicked him off and I started speaking to this girl and she was also called Lauren and 
we really really got on on MSN so we sort of set up like a we were joking that it was like a date and so we went to the cinema together and she brought me like a milky bar <laughs> and um, she was just the best and so and we've been friends ever since and so that'll be uh, 14 years this year that we've been best friends and she's bisexual mm. and I just think like how strange that we gravitated towards each other yeah and we were and she was like very she was one that like yeah dyed her hair so much that it's like going to fall out and I just think like how, like now looking back like how like we just how strange yeah. we just like totally gravitated towards each other yeah and then later on she came out um as by maybe like three or four years ago and then I felt like bad because she'd already come out I felt bad being like like I was copying her <laughs> um, and felt like an idiot but I just think yeah like how strange it was just like really really nice to have that like solidarity and. Mm it just like makes sense it just like all like makes sense and like clicks into place when I like look back at our yeah. friendship being like based around my space and about that subculture and um, but we just I think we just like needed each other at the time it was just like perfect yeah. just yeah it just made sense yeah um because even now I don't really go out that much more now because I'm like 29 um but when I do it's still usually an alternative venue yes yeah um I love the cat house in Glasgow if I'm going to go out, it's usually there. And if I'm not going there, I might actually go to, like, one of the gay clubs. And it's not a music thing. Yeah. Because, because I love pop music. And if you go yeah. to, like, a mainstream club, I can't think of, like, a better really phrase for that. But if you go to, like, a mainstream club, which I did a lot when I was a student, because when you first go, then you get all these, like, deals and, like, free entry and all that stuff when you're a student yeah. during Freshers' Week. And I went, it's just, like, I so do not belong here. Yeah. It's not, like, the music, really, and I'm sure the people are really nice. But then when I started going to, like, Exodus in Aberdeen yeah. or to Mishuler, I was like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the music because I'm such, like, a pop fan. Yeah, exactly. And Exodus, I feel, is, like, it's like, my, like, I go in, and it sounds so lame because it's a nightclub, and especially, like, if you've been to Exodus, it's, like, nothing. It's not even very big. It's, like, the size of, like, a, like, probably fit my like house in it it's like but it's like it's still like quite small yeah and it used to have like barbie magazines as wallpaper in the toilets yeah and it, it still has been decorated now and it's quite sort of nice now but it's just the smell of it when you're going is still the same <laughs> and it's just whenever i went in recent i went recently with my friend sophie and we were like 10 years older than everyone else and we were giving life advice to all the teenagers in the toilets because we were like th- <laughs> and but even though i'm 30 it's like i don't feel odd there because there's still people our age yeah. there who obviously like don't like it's like let go. But anyway, we still had such a good time that night, and it's just whenever I go in, I'm like, yes, I belong. Yeah, because um, I studied in Dundee, and my favorite nightclub there was called Cage. It doesn't exist anymore, yeah. and it's Cage of the K. K yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was a tiny club. There was technically two floors, but one was usually only open. wasn't big, capacity wasn't huge, and it's door was the fire exit so you had to go oh down this lane and like the bouncers would be by this fire exit because like i think one guy owned the entire building and there was different clubs within different parts of the building okay whereabouts in dundee was it it's near the bus station oh okay and oh okay yes i know where you are I and i are. remember going there for the first time and it was a pop punk night and really feeling very comfortable in that space but i didn't really always feel comfortable in other clubs where like rugby guys are walking around and I was like I prefer trainers to heels and I just wouldn't feel comfortable sometimes but then like in this environment I felt completely you can turn up looking however you want yeah Yeah, no one looks twice at you and I know people really like that club because no one looked twice at you like even if you weren't goth you wouldn't get weird looks yes 
Yeah. Like, well, one thing about Exodus, it was fairly normal at certain times of year when they're having, like, end of term, like, balls. Like, if you studied law, they do, like, law balls at the end of the year and yeah. things like that at uni. And it was totally normal to go. And it'd be me. I, what I always used to wear is I would always be wearing, like, Vans or Converse with <laughs> um, black denim shorts with tights and then some tartan shirt. Because the devil wears tartan. <laughs> <laughs> and it'd be totally normal to go and there'd be like guys in kilts yeah. and girls in like their full ball gowns and that was totally because they'd come from a like a law ball yeah. and that was totally normal and nobody thought anything of it yeah because um, I did read um, some anecdotes from other bisexuals who love pop punk and some of them did feel like sometimes mainstream gay spaces or LGBT spaces don't really acknowledge the bisexual because bi erasure can be a massive thing even when you go to queer spaces because sometimes People don't act like you belong there either because, like, oh, like she'll just end up with a guy anyway. Yeah, and you were like, saying today that there's certain yeah. clubs where people have been known to be thrown out of. Well, they're not just bars. not letting. Yeah, um, not letting, yeah. Like, really feminine queer women can sometimes not be let in, like, especially a group of feminine women. Because mm-hmm. I was turned away with a group of girls that I used to work with from, I'm not going to name which one it is, but anyone who lives in Glasgow probably knows which one I'm talking which nightclub I'm talking about. Um, a group of girls that I worked with. And over 50% of us were bisexual. Like, less than half of the group were straight. Yeah. And turned away. But for me personally, in kind of LGBT spaces, I've never come across biphobia too much. But I have come across the erasure because I'm quite femme. I probably look... Like, when I'm in a gay club, I probably look as though I've come with my gay best friend or something. Mm-hmm. And the only time I've been chatted up in a gay club was actually after Pride. And I had the bisexual flag drawn on my face. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you just have to go a bit like that constantly. Yeah. Just need to make sure I wear my pin or something. Yes. I can't, you know, it's like, I'm, I, come chat me up. Come talk to me, girls, please. I did get a girl asked for my number once when I was on a night out, but I didn't even click. I was like, hey. I was like, she's friendly. She's very nice. Yeah, so the next day one of my male friends was like, you know that she's gay. And I was like, okay, that's fine. We can still be friends. Yeah. Like it. <laughs> and then like, they kind of then found the goth scene and that they felt more at home there than they did in typical LGBT spaces. Yeah. Which well. is a bit sad. I, I've never felt it too much because, as I said, I've never felt too much bio erasure from the spaces I've been in. I felt just more femme erasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But some people's stories are like, yeah, they felt like the goth space was more accepting of bisexual people than traditional queer spaces. That's what's that, but it shows like the... Um... I suppose when everybody has a particular idea of what an LGBT space looks like, especially yeah. like a bar or a club, and I suppose if you're not into that... Yeah, um, I know there's that other big discussion about um, how like a lot of like LGBT spaces are nightclubs. Yes, so, it's also it's awful because you're alcohol. Yeah, and like what do you do if you don't drink, or if you're underage? Yeah, Perth. <laughs> um, with the work that I did with Perth Pride, one of the things that we tried to do is... Um, the, well, the, the group set up was that like once a month there'd be mm. a like coffee shop meeting. Yeah. Um, and so it was like sort of gay night, except mm-hmm. it's somewhere that isn't more focused on alcohol, yeah. which is really really healthy. And yeah. That no matter what age you were as well, you could come because it's really cutting out people who want to be involved because Perth, I wouldn't say, is like the greatest hub of like gay <laughs> activity. <laughs> It's a hot bit. Um, yes. So, um, from like younger people who saw what we were doing with Pressure Pride, it sort of gave them somewhere to come that wasn't that it didn't matter that they were under eighteen, which is nice. That's nice. Yeah. Pride last year in Glasgow, 
I actually went to the cat house Pride night. I'll be honest, there wasn't much there that was Pride-ish. It was right? any different from a normal No, okay. I think they just kind of, they did some cocktails that were brighter than usual. Um, but me and my friends, we rocked up. I rocked up with my big bisexual yeah. flag. Oh yeah, I saw the picture. Yeah, yeah. and um, we had like our flags on our faces and stuff like that. And there's a video of me dancing in the cat house. So I kissed a girl by Katy Perry um, with my bisexual flag. And I want that video played at my funeral. Like, if someone's <laughs> going to make like a video montage of my life, that video has to be in it. Me dancing with my bisexual flag in a goth space. So do you see, <laughs> do you see them doing the sort of Pride Night as them trying to be allies or as them trying to make money off of Pride? Which maybe you potentially, maybe potentially making money. But I will give the cat house something. It's very LGBT friendly anyway. Okay. Like I know a lot of bisexual regulars at the cat house. And you see same-sex couples there a lot. Oh, okay. So, oh, so that's nice. okay. I feel like openly holding hands and stuff. So I kind of feel like, okay, yes, I feel like maybe there was an element of like marketing behind it. Be like, I'll come to a Pride night, even though there wasn't anything really Pride-ish about it. Mm-hmm. But because they're quite an LGBT-friendly space anyway, at least in my experience, mm-hmm. I feel like it, they kind of get away with it. It's like, it, to me, it's almost like the actual gay clubs doing Pride nights. Okay. Like yeah, It's yeah, similar yeah. vein. It's not like some random nightclub just doing a pride night when it feels a bit out of place but it's like are you a straight man every night yeah Yeah. exactly like I don't like I don't know where I don't know where straight men go in Glasgow (laughs) (laughs) I don't know I only go to like gay clubs or cat house where I was like bisexual or gay or LGBT or in some form (laughs) oh okay so have you got anything else to say about goths and bisexual culture or any other is any other bands we've missed out um, I'm just, oh, well, oh. My, my other huge band from when I was younger, okay. we can't really talk about nowadays. Oh, no! No! Yeah, I saw Lost Profits four times when I was younger. So it was oh. a huge part of my teenage years. Oh. I'd never seen them live, and I was never a massive fan, but they were on my iPod. Yeah, I like. I came home one. I came home one day, and Mike had obviously been clearing out. My boyfriend had obviously been clearing out his CDs, and I like went to put something in the big bin outside, and all of his lost property CDs are in there. Like, <laughs> yeah, just about right. But um, I wasn't. I wasn't a big fan of Lost Profits. So for me, it was obviously horrible and disgusting. But I did have a lot of friends who did struggle. Yeah. When that news broke. Yeah, I was sort of past like listening to them like on a regular basis, but. And I feel sorry for the rest of the band. Yeah. yeah. I actually remember the moment I found out. I was in the cat house. Because <laughs> apparently I spent my life in there. And it was the first time I was in the cat house. Okay. I didn't know yet, right? And I came onto one of the floors and they were playing Lost Prophets. I was like, oh, I've not heard this song in years. And one of my what friend, song was it? I think it was Last, Last Home, Home, probably. Yeah. And my friend was like, I can't believe you turned out to be a pedo. And I'm like... Um, but also I was like, was it pedo as an actual pedo or more like he was just like a joke word because yeah, he's dating yeah. like an 18 year old or something. No, no, full on, disgusting. Yeah, with with yeah. Babies. Baby, yeah. exactly. Yep. Yeah, but thankfully I wasn't a massive fan. Yeah, it was, yeah. And uh, Linkin Park were another one for me yes. when I was younger. Um, which is, sorry to like lure the time. <laughs> Pedophiles and suicide. Um... Yeah, I think I was like partial to a little bit of bowling for soup now and again. Yeah. Um, funeral for a friend. Um, my chemical some, romance. Not so much. Not so much. Not a huge. My sister was a big. My sister was a really big my chemical. My sister's like, if you met her, she's like, yeah, yeah. Like I said, she's extremely like hyper feminine. Yeah. She's quite like Kardashian. Yeah. And um, 
she was really into like System of a Down. She was really into Good Charlotte and um, Good Charlotte were a big one for me actually. She liked My Chemical Romance as well. Um, because when I was googling for like pop punk LGBT, Jared Way did come up a lot. Yeah, not so much in terms of sexual orientation, but people talking about like the way experiments with gender, yes, outfits and stuff. He came up quite a bit. Yeah, but I wasn't a massive fan. I had their album Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. Yes, I think was I had that. Yeah. Um, but no, they weren't big for me. Feeder were probably my biggest band of all time, but they're not very emo. No. They're quite normal looking, aren't they? <laughs> they're quite like Manic Street Preachers, I suppose. Yeah. They're quite like dad well, rock. Dad. Um, but then, no, they stood the test of time for me. Yes, no, I yeah, totally agree. I've seen them, I've, I've seen them live twice. Um, yeah, but they're like, I really like Feeder. So yeah, not to end the story on the suicide and pedophiles. Feeder's got... Mental health and rock is a podcast yes. for another time. Another, yes. <laughs> we'll find a way to make mental health be a B topic. Yes. We will. We absolutely will. <laughs> okay, so that is it for the very first episode of the B Agenda. Because there's this is the very first episode, I've decided not to set up any social media handles until I'm a bit more committed to the project. But you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram with the handle Moador. I'll link it in the description. And you can find Lauren at the Devil Wears Tartan. Yes on Twitter and that's your username on Instagram as well, isn't it? Yes, um yes, 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 you can find me on um one of the bigger Laurens, I think. <laughs> I've got so. another close friend called Lauren, and sometimes okay. I just refer to you by your social media handles because I met you both on social media. Oh, okay, then but yeah, if you just look up the devil wears heart and you'll find me. And Lauren also is the process of writing her first book. Um yes, um so I'm working with Penguin Random House on my first book, which is about domestic abuse, except uh, Hope it's not depressing it's not a depressing book um so i just got my first draft back from my editor so hopefully it's gonna get finished this year and be out next year Woo. it's called um kiss of the fist which is a florence and the machine song Ooh, is there any blink 22 references in the book oh, surely surely it comes surely up at some point God. yeah i'll find a way to get them in there <laughs> in. i do have other bisexuals who have agreed to join me for future episodes it's just a matter of logistics so i'm sure there'll be another episode which might be on branding books Brexit. <laughs> yeah, you can get me back for that one. Alright, anything else beginning with B. But I hope you enjoyed mine and Lauren's ramblings on what maybe is a niche topic. But I hope you'll join us again in the future. So sweet dreams, my bisexual beauties. <laughs> <laughs>